If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This episode of The Warrior's Huddle is brought to you by The Athletic Club Oakland. I can't think of a better way to spend an evening coming out of this COVID quarantine than watching sports with friends. It's the thing I've missed most about Shelter in Place, and it definitely feels a little ridiculous to scream at the TV by myself. Luckily, the Athletic Club Oakland has come off with an MVP move. They shut down the entire street next to their normal space and created an enormous outdoor section called the Town Gardens. It's got TVs everywhere, comfortable seating, and their full food and bar service. In short, it's the perfect place to watch the game with friends while staying safe. It's now our go-to spot, and hopefully we'll see you there. In fact, Bram, Marcus, and I plan on being there quite a bit in the coming weeks. So if you show up and we see you in huddle gear, you've got a beer on us. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans can be sports fans again. What is up, you guys? This is Bram from the Future, and I wanted to give you a heads up of this episode before it even started. So you can probably guess schedules were crazy. Marcus, Maxime, and I were unable to record a normal episode of The Huddle this week. We will absolutely be back next week. I've already reviewed some of the questions, and I can promise you there's some nasty personal stuff in there that I cannot wait to confront Marcus and Maxime with. But I am fired up to announce that today, Today, you're going to hear another Huddle Road show with Wes and I, Five Golden Questions, where we covered the biggest questions facing Golden State. Kind of hidden bonus. While Maxime didn't join us, he did, in fact, edit this episode. I haven't heard it yet. I'm telling you guys, because I want you to keep that in mind and let us know next week whether or not it sounded any better with Maxime editing or not. I think you will enjoy this episode regardless of its sound quality. We covered some great stuff. We appreciate you. Please enjoy this. And hopefully we'll see you next week as well. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. This is Five Golden Questions, where Bram Hillsman of the Warriors Huddle Podcast and me, Wes Goldberg of the Lockdown Warriors Podcast, combine our wits and whatever else we want to call it uh, into one great podcast here on Green Room. Uh, if we have time at the end, we will try to get to some listener questions, but we have five questions prepared, most of which have to do with the Golden State Warriors, draft-related Trade-related, we've got a bunch of good stuff coming up, but let's just jump right in to our first one, Bram, and it's on the heels of Scottie Pippen going scorched earth on the entirety of his Chicago Bulls teammates and coaches and specifically Michael Jordan and all of his media responsibilities that he has going on basically uh, what is a book tour, uh, a tell-all book. And um, tell-all books, just in a general sense, are the best genre of books. I would think. I would think, and it's interesting because I think of, of in, like the the concept of a book is to to tell all of something on a subject. That's why they're books and not articles or comic strips. Uh, but a tell-all book is um, scandalous and wonderful. And Scottie Pippen has one now. And, Have you read uh, a lot of tell-all books, Wes? I mean, I think I agree with you as far as it being the best genre, but I don't know if I've actually read more than like – in fact, I don't think I can come up with one tell-all book I have actually gone all the way through. Are you like a huge tell-all guy? No, I am not. I actually have never read a tell-all <laughs> book. To me, I associate a tell-all book with like government employees, right? Like dude who is like in a president's cabinet and then got fired or removed or four years since the last president 
was in office and he's like, I'm going to tell you all of it. And everybody's like, cool. <laughs> We've already reached my favorite part of this podcast less than five minutes in. I love that you said, look, best book out there just by far, the tell-all genre. Then the follow-up, which ones do you like? Oh, I've never read one. I've, I've no. never, never seen any of them. But, you know, nonetheless, still my favorite. I don't really, I, I don't, I, I wish I read more books. I read every day. I don't read books. I read articles. I read stuff like that. Uh, I wish I read Comic more books. books. That said, if there were a Warriors player to do a Scotty Pippen, basically just pull a 180, go from generally regarded as a good teammate to 30 years later, I'm coming out with a tell-all book, and I'll tell you exactly who it was. If there was going to be a Warriors player from that dynasty era to do what it is that Scottie Pippen just did, what Warriors player is most likely to do that? So I'm going to give you who I want, then probably who will get, right? So who do I want? And it's it's no question, slam dunk, no-brainer. It's Steve Kerr, man. So Steve Kerr was on Jones Bulls. He was on Popovich's Spurs. He played for the fucking jail blazers. He's a great storyteller. He's willing to make fun of himself. He's even willing to take shots, right? He famously fought with Jordan during a practice. He had that whole championship speech thing where he made the joke that when he hit that game-winning shot, it was because Jordan turned to him in the huddle and asked him specifically to do it. And there have been some misconceptions about what actually happened. I wanted to clear it up. When we called timeout with 25 seconds to go, we went into the huddle. Phil told Michael, he said, Michael, I want you to take the last shot. And Michael said, you know, Phil, I don't feel real comfortable in these situations. So maybe we ought to go in another direction. And Scotty came in and said, you know, Phil, Michael said in his commercial that, you know, he's been asked to do this 26 times and he's failed. So why don't we go to Steve? Well, I guess I got to bail Mike out again. <laughs> oh, beautiful. But I've been carrying him all year, so, you know, what's, what's one more time? Anyway, the shot went in, and that's my story, and, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so if he had the kind of personality type, to be willing to sit down and just spill it out there. And, and, and I haven't even mentioned his dynastic run with the Warriors and Steph and everybody else. His tell-all book would be my first and favorite tell-all book of all time, and I'd be all over it. But there's no way. There's, there's a 0% chance that he does that. It doesn't necessarily fit within his personality type, which leads me to who I think it is. And it's kind of cheating because they're not part of the dynastic run. But the only Warriors player I think who could do this is Kelly Oubre. Um, I, I can see him wanting to up his personal brand. I can see him calling it how Wes and I shaved our chest and other tales from Golden State. I can see him just digging into this and genuinely enjoying it, even though he doesn't have the kind of stories and he wasn't there for the, uh, the, the high end of the dynasty. Um, but he's my guy and I'm going to give you an extra guy just because I loved this question so much. Uh, and this one came obviously from Wes, not a Warriors player, but a guy I do think this is going to happen for D'Angelo Russell. Um, I, I think D'Angelo is going to reach the end of his career. His, he's not going to hit the kind of heights and popularity that he thought he would. He's going to look around. He's going to want to be a bigger deal. And we already know from the whole swaggy P thing, he doesn't give a shit about throwing other people under the bus. So I think, you know, 30 years from now, we will be reading a D'Angelo Russell, you know, why my career should have been bigger in Brooklyn kind of, uh, kind of take. So that's my guy for you. So here's the fundamental thing with Scottie Pippen that what resulted in him having to write a book, because I know he didn't actually write the book. I shouldn't, I shouldn't <laughs> say that he probably didn't actually write the book. He, I can't imagine Scottie Pippen, uh, sitting down with a cup of coffee in front of a computer and being like chapter one. Um, I can't, I, I don't know that he ever actually opened a word document, but uh, I could, the thing with Scotty Pippen is he had a career in the media and it was a bad one. 
Like, Scottie Pippen knows basketball. Like, we can't argue. He is a, probably a basketball genius, right? He knows more basketball. He knows more about the sport of basketball than I will ever forget. Or, he, you know you know how that phrase He'll forget more than I'll ever know. But I like your version. I, I like your version. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> he is not a person who I will go to for basketball analysis because he's. it's one thing to know the game, and it's another thing to be able to talk about the game succinctly and entertainingly and all these things. I sure. think you and I can talk about the game in a very entertaining way for the most part. I, I think you and I are better at this than Scottie Pippen is. Scottie Pippen is really bad at it on ESPN. He was awful. Like, when he was on the jump, I didn't watch. And there's a lot of reasons I don't watch the jump. But if he was ever on, I'm like, oh, I'm getting nothing out of this. I already know that because he's bad at this. So what did he have to do in order to get what he wanted out there? Write a book, right? Because he couldn't articulate what it is that he wanted to do either on the jump or in other media type of settings. He had to basically sit down uninterrupted and write a book uh, or have somebody write it for him. And so that's why Draymond Green, I think, would be the obvious answer to a lot of people. But Draymond is so damn good at this, the media stuff, that he'll never have to write the book, right? He could tell you exactly what he's thinking at any point. And by the way, does it already that Draymond will have all the stories. He has the spot to want to actually tell you what happened, but won't ever have to do it in book form because he'll just tell you right straight up in the media. So yep. Draymond's not the answer. Clay Thompson would be the opposite of that, but I don't think Clay is interested in all. And I don't think even 30 years from now, Clay Thompson would be interested in doing this. I think 30 years from now, Clay is going to be still playing Mar- the original Mario Kart on N64, right? <laughs> and so I don't think that he's all that interested. Uh, here's the answer, Bram. It's Steph Curry. Because Steph was the ultimate teammate for those five finals runs. All the drama had to do with Kevin Durant. And by the way, Kevin Durant will never do this either um, because he just doesn't see the value in it, for better or worse. But Steph, he was the quiet, nice guy, good teammate, ultimate winner, never caused a ruckus, never caused any problems in the locker room. I think that there could be a point 30 years from now where I'm not saying that this will happen, but there could be a way with the way that Steph influenced the game, everybody taking Steph Curry moonshots from the logo now, that maybe 30 years from now, we start to forget about Steph a little bit because everybody's going to be basically be doing it. And we'll, we'll pay you know homage to him. But you know what? Steph was the first one to do that. And that will come up in conversation sometimes, but not as much as it should. And Steph, 30 years from now, might be, you know what? I want to tell you, I'm going to write the book on what really happened with my team. Because we got Marcus Thompson writing books about me right now. We got people writing, uh, you know, we got Kevin Durant out there in the media. We got Draymond Green taking Charles Barkley's role on TNT. Nobody hears from Steph. You know, you hear more from Aisha and her cookbooks more than you do from me for 30 years. Let me tell you really what happened. I think it could be Steph. I love this. Yeah, you're, you're okay. So I both agree with you and disagree with you. Yeah, so I agree with you. He is going to write a book. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Here's where I disagree with you. I don't think it's going to be a tell-all. So, Wes, right now I'm standing in my office, and I'm loser enough, enough of a fan where I have like a, a bookcase that has a shelf that has a bunch of random Warriors shit on it. One of those things are the championship books that came out after the Warriors won those titles. You know, the kind of things that like the newspapers put together. Uh, one of them is called Strength and Numbers. Another one's called Gold Standard. Third one's called Super Team. All of these don't have any salacious stories. They're just like, hey, we were so great. Let's let's re, you know, involve ourselves and, and tell these stories. That's the kind of thing that Steph will write. There won't be any, you know, gossip. There won't be any fuck yous. It'll just be like, we had the time of our life, and here is exactly why. Um, let me ask you this, Wes. So I mean, if it was me, if I was an author and a and a Athlete came to me and asked them or asked me to be their goat writer. And, and I put out this book about their whole tell-offs, but nobody ever knew that I was the person who actually authored the book. I couldn't hold that to myself. I could last a couple of years. Yeah. And ultimately, I'm telling people, you know, like, I want the credit, man. I'm too selfish for you. If you were a ghostwriter, you know, let's say Jordan comes to you and you now author the next uh, last dance in print form, I guess it'd be more appropriate for you for LeBron. Could you keep it secret? Yeah, I was or do you think at some point, I mean, just, you can let me make, you don't have to take your damn shot at Jordan, but I, I, could you I don't keep want to settle yourself? for the second best player's book. You piece of shit. You, know? you piece oh. of shit. Let me enjoy this question. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Would you tell people, or do you think you could actually keep it to yourself? How much money am I getting? 
<laughs> it's so, is there, I could buy your silence? That's if the it's answer. Like a couple million, you're all good? Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sign the, the what, what is it, the, uh, the non-disclosure? Non-disclosure. I'll sign the, the non-disclosure. How much money am I getting from it? What am I making? <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm getting a good split and I got a nice little signing bonus, I won't say anything to anybody, even my closest friends and my family. They won't know anything. Yeah, I'll take the money. Thank you very you much. You better give me like generational wealth. If like ten years down the line, I've already spent all the money, and people are like, "What a great book!" You know, incredibly written. I'm telling people, like, I'm getting sued. It just is. What yeah. It is. Once I once I've like parked the Lamborghini in front of my like mansion, I'll start telling people. You know, like, <laughs> the uh, the license plate is LeBron's author. You know, if you right. refuse to, you want to you want to explain that to anybody. You know, it could mean anything. <laughs> Who knows? Um, no, I, I think you're right. I don't think Steph would do anything salacious. There might be, but if you get one little tidbit about how Kevin Durant just almost screwed it up and I saved the day, if you get that one little tidbit in a 250-page book, it's worth it. It's worth I'd, it. I'd the, it. The rest I'd of the book will just be Steph it. talking about, like, Jesus or something. But, like, well, there's no question. The, no, no, if you just want... One no, each entry, right. it'll Next be like a, a day-to-day diary of him saying, we had a great day, we won the game, and I praised God. You know, and whatever, I'd read it. I would still read it, man. I went home and ate some chicken. Um, <laughs> all right. How much defense, this is our second question, how much defense are you willing to sacrifice in order to improve the offense? Now let me explain this question. Uh, the Warriors didn't make the playoffs despite having had the fifth-rated defense in defensive rating this last year. They're 20th in offensive rating. That's very bad. Now, we already know that having Clay back will improve this to a certain extent on both sides of the court, right? We, we presume offensively, certainly. Defensively, we'll wait to see what his health is at. But we, we, I think we have an idea that both sides of the court will be improved by Clay's return. That said, um, I think there's an understanding that you can't have, in today's game, the 20th ranked offense in offensive rating, and even having Clay back. All the shooting, the reputation, everything, that's not getting you probably to where you need to be on offense. So you probably need to make some personnel changes. You see what Utah has done over the last several years. They go from a, a heavy defensive team, number one in defensive rating, but couldn't score the ball at all, to let's lean all the way in on offense. Let's go get Bogdanovich. Let's hand the ra- like hand the keys to the offense to Donovan Mitchell. All these things. And what had happened, they ended up being like top 10 in both this year. Best record in the league. They flamed out in the playoffs, but a lot of injuries and stuff like that. Whatever. I'm not worried about that. How much defense are you willing to sacrifice uh, in order to improve the offense to get the Warriors back to where they want to be? So this, like everything else, man, is name dependent, right? Um, It's hard to jump into this question without seeing a player and then seeing who you'd be giving up to get that player. But if what we're talking about is just kind of like a generalized concept, then I'm going to say very little. And I might just be holding on to the past. I probably am holding on to the past, Wes, and maybe you can push me away from it. But when I'm starting this answer, and you know, forgive me for saying it, I still believe in Steve Kerr's system. When he had the personnel towards the end of the year last year, right, the last 20 games, they went 15 and 5 running his ball movement defense heavy system. And I am assuming they're going to go right into that next year. That system is as dependent on defense as it is anything else. During the dynastic run, really it was the defense that wasn't getting credit and that was bringing them to the finals year after year mm-hmm. after year. So I get what you're saying. I understand what Utah's done, and this could be holding on to a system that no longer exists. But unless we are talking superstar offensive player, I'm hesitant, man. I, I've, I've, you know, the whole defense wins championships thing. I've now seen that three times, and I'm, I'm worried about giving up on it. Um, I hear you. I don't think you can completely give up on defense, right? I don't think that there's a world that – look, I think if Brooklyn were healthy, they win the championship running away. I, I really do. And I'm, I'm surprised I said that but based on – because I didn't think that would be the case. But what I saw in the playoffs, you could get five veteran players – to play better defense for 16 games. You just can, right? Like the difference between playoff defense and regular season defense is so different. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see what a Warriors defense looks like in the postseason, right? So we don't know what kind of defense they are in that kind of setting. But that said, if you look at the top four, if you look at the four remaining teams, and I, and I put these stats together before the Clippers were eliminated last night, but the final four teams, I should say, um, in their offensive rating and defensive rating from the regular season, the Clippers were third in offensive rating. Milwaukee was fifth, 
Phoenix was seventh and Atlanta was nine. So that lends you to believe, okay, to be one of the final four teams, which is ultimately where the Warriors want to go, right? Like just, you know, uh, jogging into the finals isn't going to happen again. You're going to have to get to that final four and then anything can happen. But you kind of have to be one of the top nine offenses in the league. Defensively, Phoenix was six. The Clippers were eighth. Milwaukee was ninth. Atlanta was 18th. Um, Atlanta picked it up toward the end of the year. But that tells me that you could be a little bit worse. You probably still have to be top 10 defensively, probably. But you can be a little bit worse on that side of the ball and get away with it and just pick it up when you need to. Where on offense, I think you just... I think it's the opposite of what it used to be. I think it's so... Offenses are so good now that it's almost harder to be great on offense because everybody's just good. That you kind of just consistently have to be great on offense. And then on defense, you could just sort of pick it up when you need to in the last six minutes of an important game. So here's where I'm at. I would be giving... I would be willing to give up four spots on defense to move up 10 spots on offense. And I, w- I don't know if it's possible, but that's kind of the formula. If I can go from 5th in defensive rating to ninth, and if I'm, trading en- if I'm trading that much defense in order to get 10 spots better on offense, so basically go from 20th to 10th, so now I'm there with the 10th best offense and the 9th best defense, I think that the Warriors would be in a really good spot. So that was way more specific than I was prepared to get. I'm very impressed. And what I'm going to hear, let me follow suit and say it a different way. The... the NBA, like every other professional sports league, is a copycat league, right? You look at what the champion's doing, and then you try to replicate it. The Warriors set the world on fire with three-pointers for five dynastic years. Everyone's trying to shoot the three. Last year, when the Lakers won it, and we were going into the post or going into the offseason, you know what everyone was worried about? Getting bigger, Wes. We had a front court that Mm -hmm. everyone was terrified Mm -hmm. of, and you needed to get big on defense. And I, uh, with that in mind, and I don't think this is a stretch, man. I fucking agree with you. I think if Brooklyn was healthy, they were going to win it. They were going to win it easily, and they were not going to win it with defense. You know, their their whole approach was, hey, do what you want. We're going to put up 145. You know, so if, if you think you can stop us, go for it. If we've accepted that Brooklyn's the probable favorite going into next year, that's the team we need to prepare for, then you're 100% right. Because what they need to do is get back up to speed on the offensive end so that they can at least try to match firepower with firepower. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the 10 spot specific research behind this. I wish I had done more like background. I might just make up some numbers to help justify this. But what you were saying makes sense. Um, I think the big question, though, is how do you do that? Right. And how right. much does Clay coming back help you? Um that's a, I, I think Clay helps you. I don't think that he helps you t- getting 10 spots better on offense. And that means that at some point in the roster, I think the six men that we are accustomed to seeing the Warriors have, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, those guys were both defensive-leaning type of players, especially in the case of Andre Iguodala. That player probably now has to be an offensive-leaning player. And yep. if and and you need to and that player needs to basically be running the offense, being the main point getter when Steph Curry is on the bench because that was the biggest problem with the Warriors' offense. When Steph is on the floor, it's one of the best five offenses in the league. The stats bear that out. It's actually one of the best ten, ten offenses in the league. I shouldn't say five. but And that's right where they want to be. But Steph's not going to play every minute. We know this, and it's a talking point. But uh, how can the Warriors just stay above water more than they were when Curry was resting? And I yep. think that's just going to involve having a – a kind of perimeter oriented player who can just go get your buckets. And if you're not score and if you're not defending as well, when Draymond's not on the floor, when Kevon Looney's not on the floor, so be it. But if you can score some points when Steph is on the floor, that that I think is going to be key. Well, there's uh, some reasons for optimism for as far as internal development. I mean, Jordan Poole's the easiest guy to point to. You know, the, yeah. the more experience he got, the better he looked on the offensive end. Uh, I haven't given up on who Wiseman can ultimately become. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll finish this question with this kind of cautionary tale for Warriors fans because i got to keep telling it to myself. Next year, there's still going to be growing pains. You know, I mean, all of us are looking forward to next season. I'm one of those people. All of us have high expectations for next season. I'm one of those people. But if you think the Warriors hit the ground running day one, you're wrong. They still need to figure out how Wiseman um, incorporates into this offense. He's not going to be here during the offseason. And they got to figure out who the hell Clay is. And they're not going to know that probably till, you know around Christmas or something. 
So there, there's going to be some more frustrating periods. Don't confuse that for lack of success. Just realize what it is. You know, it's some growing pains. They're, they're working their way towards who they have to become. Do you want to lead us into our third question? I do. Let's do it. Um, so this one I was kind of playing around with for a while and have had this conversation in multiple bar settings. The idea is I don't really know opposing fan bases, Wes. Like I've gone to other baseball stadiums because it's cheap to get in. And I've gone to random NFL games. And in fact, I was like a bachelor party, but I've never done a opposing NBA arena. The closest I got when I was in New York, I took a tour of Madison Square Garden and it was made up for the Liberty. And I remember getting kind of pissy about that. But the question ultimately is, since I've never spent any time with opposing fan bases, is kind of twofold. If you could magically grab a drink with any member of an opposing fan base, you know, uh, whatever, Lakers fan, Nick fan, whomever, who would it be? And if you had to avoid or if you could make sure that you never grabbed a drink (laughs) with an opposing fan base, what person would you want to avoid? So let's start with that first one, man. If you could pick any fan base out there, sit down and have a drink with them, who would it be? So I want to eliminate two fan bases right off the bat from both of these answers. Brooklyn Nets and L.A. Clippers. And the reason I'm eliminating those is because they don't exist. Anybody who claims to be a Clippers (laughs) fan is full of garbage. And the Brooklyn Nets are a made-up team. They don't have fans. They used to play in New Jersey. They haven't had fans in front of the best version of this team they've ever had for most of the season, right? Like, they kind of got together during COVID, right? Like, nobody's, like, falling in love because they're going into games and watching James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving play because they never got to do that. So those fan bases, (laughs) you can tell me you're a Brooklyn Nets fan. I'm like, I don't even care if you're from Brooklyn. You're a Knicks fan. Get out of here. What Um, would you say? Just take me through that. I tell you I'm a Brooklyn fan. You say, no, you're not. And then you just move on. You literally don't believe it. No, my question would be, (laughs) yeah, it's no, you're not, and then I don't know you, and I'm walking away from this. Um, uh, no, I would say, well, what what was your, what team did you like first? <laughs> so you'd be as condescending as you possibly could. Nicely That's played, right. and I definitely understand. <laughs> um, this is a really, really good question. Um, so what? The first one we're doing. What? What do we? Who, which fan do we want to have a drink with? What? Yeah, who go, with, go with the positive side of this. So I'm going to go with. Um, so I'm, I like to debate and I like to argue Yep. and I know New Yorkers like to do that too. And I would be really interested to have a beer with a Knicks fan just to sort of understand how they're feeling, especially because right now it's kind of, it feels like a good time to be a Knicks fan, right? Like they're really happy with their team. I think that would be like kind of interesting and almost heartwarming in a way like, Oh man, your team is good. Like good for you. Like first round and out, but you know, whatever, that's better than what you're used to. Um, but I think the answer is tied between Atlanta and Milwaukee. Um, I've had interactions with Milwaukee fans that have been very pleasant, even though they're getting a little bit on my nerves lately because they're kind of they're fighting against like the Giannis slander, and so like that's ten- that tends to be when a fan base gets annoying is when they're starting to stick up for their own guy a little bit too much. Um, I shouldn't say too much because that's kind of their job as fans. But um, so I'm going to go with Atlanta. Because I'm taking a question as right now, if I'm going to have a beer with a guy right now. Oh, no, now. yeah. It is, it is definitely right now. And so, like, yeah. we both super agree and then super disagree. So I thought you were going to steal my thunder, man. Um, let me work my way up to the people I would like to grab a drink with okay. and then address your Atlanta thing. Because it's hell of wrong. The Atlanta thing is crazy wrong. But we'll talk about that in a second. Oh. Um, people I'm interested in. Pacer fan? Like, I feel they wouldn't be too competitive. I feel like they'd know who pretty well. And I bet you they're, like, not-so-secret Steph fans just because he's kind of a pure shooter, and I can see them getting into that. And I've always kind of liked Reggie Miller, you know, but I don't shit about no. the Midwest. See, the Pacers are on the bottom of my list. I have no interest in hanging out with a Pacers fan. Okay, well, I, I, mean, nev- I haven't picked him yet. I, haven't I don't like Reggie saying. Miller. It's I don't possible. like it. My next guy, Denver fan, right? So yeah. they've got a possible future as a team. So I don't think they'd be defensive. And the Warriors and Denver should be kind of close in the standings next year. Yeah. So we can talk some shit, but it'd be passive aggressive. And I bet that 95% of their fan base smokes weed, which makes me <laughs> an immediate fan, you know? So we can play as one, and I can see that going, but that's not my pick. My well, you get, you're getting also. You're getting a lot of that California kind of culture thing, tech culture, all that stuff. Like you feel like what I love about talking with Warriors fans is they're so knowledgeable about the game. It's not just like if you're not seven feet tall and rebounding, I don't care. Like that tends to be like, unfortunately, Miami Heat fans are very much like that. 
and that's my my bone with them. But um, Warriors fans are very very knowledgeable about the game, and I feel like you would get that same sort of feel from Nuggets fans. So that's a good yeah. pick. I like that one. Me too. And I feel like Denver is slowly trying to turn its state into California. You know, mm-hmm. and so I can mm-hmm. kind of feel like superior to them without actually putting it out there, which means a lot to me. That's the kind of person type <laughs> I am. The final guy is Nick Fan. That's who I want to grab a drink with. Yeah. And the reason is like you, you kind of nailed it, man. Two years ago, no way. Couldn't. It'd be a nightmare. They'd be feeling sorry for themselves. They'd get all defensive. It'd be an angry conversation. But they made the playoffs. They're in like a different time now. And I'm sure they're ready to have like a two-hour drunken shithouse uh, – the the owner dolan conversation so like if we just sit around and like joke about our douchey rich owners i'm on board for that man so nick fans my pick i can see where you're coming from on the uh milwaukee thing but atlanta what are you talking about wes you know what kind of a nightmare that would be the it would immediately become a steph first trade conversation immediately and no. I would get, of course it would they they right now i think i bet you if you cornered an atlanta fan right now they would tell you that Trey is actually better than Steph, or at least no. I think they would tell you that Trey is the next Steph, and I think they would pay they would pay their respects, tip the hat, right? You know, kiss kiss the ring. Even now, even now, you think because I feel like they've gotten bananas cocky, and if it did go down that that road, if I'm suddenly listening to somebody with a southern draw explaining to me why making the Eastern Conference Finals puts you in the same fucking category as somebody who's won two MVPs and three championships, I'm not taking it well. I can't fight for shit, Wes, but I feel like I would fight in that scenario. So I can't, yeah. I can't agree with the Atlanta That's thing. the kind of debate I want, though, right? Nope. Like, school? There you go. Because you're, you're, you're automatically – it's not a hard debate to win. You're like, how many – I'm sorry, how many rings does Trey Young have? Okay, that's right. Like, it's – and then it's over. That's like when I was, you know, I was having the Dwayne Wade versus James Harden argument. People were like, look at his numbers. Look at this. I'm like, how many – I'm sorry, how many times has he gone to the finals? Oh, that's right. Zero. Okay, well, see, it's it's this emotional maturity uh, which led LeBron to tapping you on the shoulder to write his book, man. You know I mean? And that's fantastic. <laughs> I just – I don't have that kind of shit. But look, let's let's switch it over and I'll go first. People you do not want to have one's easy. with, right? Mm-hmm. Fan base. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to knock out – the easy ones just because they're low hanging fruit. Right. So Laker fan, no way. Crazy entitled. Yeah. And the whole time talking about eighties injury. I'm out. Utah fan, a disconnected racist group, you know, who are wearing magic Mormon underwear. Again, I'm out. We'd have nothing to talk about. Boston fan. They feel like Utah fan, but angrier probably couldn't do it. Here's my answer. And I don't know if it's controversial or not. It's Phoenix fan. There's no way I could sit down with them right now, Wes. They're crazy cocky. It would be CP3 as a top five player, or he's finally recognized his legacy. They were kind of racist, too. So going into this, I did a little <laughs> bit of research, right? And what I remember, and my memory was wrong, but what I remember is the Suns wore the Los Suns jerseys, and then there was a protest that happened afterwards. But when I looked it up, the actual story behind was even more concerning the, the Arizona passes this super shady racist immigration law. The Suns, led by Steve Nash, decide to to speak out in their own way, and they come up with a low Suns jersey as an fu to the immigration law. And then there was a protest to the low Suns jersey. Here's a quote from a fan: "Quote, I don't take people who chase an orange ball around for a living very se- seriously." And Steve Nash just reinforced the reasons why. So thanks to your dumb stunt tonight, Nash. Despite the fact that I've been a longtime Arizona resident, I will be rooting for the Spurs, who are their opponent tonight. So, yep, fuck Phoenix, dude. I'm out. That's my guys. I'm not having a drink with them. So you took the high ground here, and you just said, it doesn't really have to do with the team, but I don't really want to have a drink with a racist, which makes a lot of sense to me. Kind of, and anyone who roots for CP3. You know, like, I I had both high ground and remarkably petty ground, which is where I'm pretty comfortable. So, I mean, you cheat a little bit because you eliminated the other two racist fan bases in Utah and Boston, and then you just they're like, but we keep this other racist fan base, and okay, that's okay. the one. Wes, what, what, what are you, the fucking narrator? I know what I did. You don't have to read all through it. I mean, what's your answer? Uh, I think this is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, Toronto. Oh. Uh, and here's my reason why. Uh, I love Toronto. I think it's a wonderful city. It, the second best pizza I've ever had was in Toronto, surprisingly. <laughs> I had a very nice time. Great craft beer scene. Unbelievable eating in general. 
it was I got lucky. It only rained the first day I was there, and it was beautiful for the, like the next three or four days. Uh, I love Toronto as a city. I absolutely, and I will go back tomorrow if I could. But I never want to have a drink with a Raptors fan. And I think that the Jurassic Park thing was so overblown and stupid. And it gave every Raptors fan such a big head. Oh, congratulations. You didn't actually go to the game. And that makes you a great fan because you're willing to stand (laughs) outdoors and watch it on TV as if that's different than sitting inside and watching it on TV. And they made this huge, every, every TNT and ESPN cutaway was not of the people who actually paid for tickets and got into the arena. Every cutaway during those Raptors finals in 2019 and that playoff run was about those those cheap people standing outdoors peeing in their own jeans. Like I don't, I, I don't understand why it was so romanticized and it was made such a big deal. And they gave themselves a nickname. Oh, we're Jurassic park. Like, no, you're not, you're not dinosaurs. You're not awesome like that. You're just cheap humans who didn't actually want to go to the game and just brought your own beer and, and just did that. And so that doesn't make you a better fan. Raptors fans are so great because they're willing to do that. What? They're willing to stand outdoors. That what's, that's what makes them great fans. Like get out of here with that. And now every, and, and then because of that, every time a fan stands outside near an arena, they're automatically on television on any of the 30 NBA <laughs> fan bases. And I, and I hate that. It's the stupidest thing. I don't know why it's there. And now every, and, and, and so now every Raptors fan thinks that they, they have like this big head and, and you combine that with the fact that they feel so overlooked for so long. Like, oh, nobody ever talks about us because we're not in America and we're in the Canadian, the, the one Canadian team and nobody ever wants to talk about us even if we're good. It's like, yeah. Nobody ever wants to talk about you because you're not because, you know, every news station is based in America and we don't get it. You know, you're in Toronto, like whatever. We talk about you plenty. We also don't talk about Phoenix when they suck. We don't talk about Utah when they suck. We haven't talked about the Orlando Magic in 20 years. Why? Because they're not interesting. And I'm sorry, the Raptors weren't interesting. The best player you ever had was Kawhi Leonard, the patron saint of being uninteresting. So I just get out of here for the Raptors fans. I'm sorry. You won your final your championship in 2019. Love it. Leave it. Move on. But you're not a better fan base than anybody else. And they have a big head. And I don't want to have a drink with them. I mean, you know you've come to a right person with this anger. One, anytime you have instant anger, I can associate with it. And, and in fact, if you want to point out a stranger and tell me that we now hate that stranger, Wes, I'm with you. <laughs> now, for this in particular hate, of course I can associate with you. What would we do? Like go to a bar, wait for someone to get hurt, and then give them an ovation for getting hurt? So no, fuck Toronto fans. That's right. So I will say – I I know uh, the kind of research you put into your takes, the kind of research you put into your articles. Am I right in assuming that you really sourced, you really researched that take that all of those Jurassic Park fans were just pissing in their pants, that there was no bathrooms and they literally were just just going right there without moving? As you know, it's not slander as long as you say that wasn't slander. So okay, uh, that's, I, I had forgotten that tenet of American <laughs> law, but no, that's very important. And you're right. No slander, no slander. Also, is it true that they're going to be changing it from Jurassic Park to no urinal park? I mean, weird. It doesn't really roll <laughs> off the tongue, but I mean, I guess it's factually accurate. Parv points out in the chat. What if they couldn't afford it? Parv, look. This is more for entertainment purposes. Don't make me feel bad, Parv. Come on, man. Like, what do you mean? Goddamn you afford it. Just stay home and watch it, man. Like, you don't have to stand outside. Like, that's not so, the point. And Parv, and related as we know of the title for this episode, Why Wes Hates Poor People. And I, I think it's kind of scandalous, Wes. I mean, that you brought a class war into this podcast is super inappropriate. And I'm just going to let you, you know, suffer the consequences here. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you all about it in my tell-all book. Um, our next question. You mean LeBron's. <laughs> Uh, our next question. Um, should the Warriors go after Damian Lillard and Ben Simmons? And if so, how hard should they go after one of those two players? So for this one, instead of actually giving you a response, what I'm going to do is read you a text <laughs> message I gave you from a friend um, or I, I received from a friend that included both you and Connor, a friend of both of our podcasts and our combined podcast here. My friend's name is Josh. He's been a Warrior fan for years, listens to all the podcasts that are out there. Here's the back and forth. Out of nowhere from Josh, fuck Connor and Wes. Me, why? <laughs> Josh, because they keep including Clay's name in a trade. Fuck, period, them, period. So for my friend Josh, dude, he's not very happy with some of these suggestions that you are throwing out there. Um, as so far as I can, can I just defend myself really quick? <laughs> of course. Go. So, Josh, I hope you're listening. This is for you, buddy. 
one out of every like eight times I'll go at Connor's podcast, he says something stupid and then I get lumped into it. <laughs> and he, I, we had this whole Damian Lillard conversation about, okay, how do you match salary? Like Andrew Wiggins, obviously. And then blah, blah, blah. This is what else they have to include. And then he goes, and, why, and then Connor says, and I think if you're the Warriors, you have to really consider putting Clay Thompson in that deal, which is just a dumb thing to say. Because first of all, Portland wouldn't want Clay Thompson because they haven't seen what he looks like after these two injuries, and nobody would ever trade for Clay Thompson at this point, no matter what he comes back as, right? We know this. And he said that. I immediately said, that's probably not going to happen. And then we kind of moved on. Uh, that's at least my memory of it. And then everybody in my Twitter mentions goes, we hate you guys. Why would you ever trade Clay? I'm like, no, I'm not trading Clay. Connor wants to trade Clay. Thompson. Connor hates Clay Thompson, not slander. Um, but it's I, I. I never mention Clay Thompson. I never include him in trade talks because I know it's bananas, and I know that Steph Curry would never stand for it. Right? That's his dude, and it's, it's, it's that simple. I want to know why you hate Clay Thompson and why you keep trying to trade him. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense to me, and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to be sharing this digital space with you. Though, the, jokes aside, well, well, you know, I'm sure your and Connor's conversation was taped since it was a podcast. So we'll yes. let you know, history speak for itself. You guys can go out there, and check it out, and then let us know next week whether or not Wes is completely full of shit. To give you an actual response, um, so let's start with the first name, Willard. Am I interested? Yeah, I mean, of course I am. The guy wears the number zero as a substitute for O for Oakland. He is, you know, from the area. I'm born and raised in that city. I love his skill set. Do I like the idea of bringing home an Oakland son? Of course I do. Would I be willing to give up a ton for it? No. Um, as much as I love what Lillard would bring, it's duplicative. We already have a ton of offense from the point guard spot. And we would have a, a, a huge problem with defense on that side. And essentially what it would probably cost is just too much. You know, like if, if they're talking about like a straight up trade for Wiggins and Lillard, which they are not, you know, even then I'd have to think on it long and hard. I'd probably say yes, but just the defensive versatility, you know, that, that Wiggins brings it, it would be a little bit longer of a conversation. If we have to throw in the kitchen sink, which we would, all the picks, probably Wiseman, that's too much. I love Dame, but I wouldn't go all the way in like that. Um, here's my counter. Who cares like, <laughs> at all about defense if you have Damian Lillard and Steph Curry in the same backcourt? Who cares about defense? Like, I don't know about you. That's a team I want to be watching. Steph Damian Lillard and then Draymond Green being like, I take everybody away. I got this on defense. That's the Draymond Green I want to watch. Like, I'm, I am all in on that group, plus Clay Thompson, who is not going to be included in that deal, despite what Connor thinks. Um, I, I, I love, I love the idea. If I'm the Warriors, I put the kitchen sink and everything else I have. I'm like, hey, if you, you get the seventh pick, the 14th pick, James Wiseman, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, We'll give you equity in Chase Center. Like, whatever you want, we will give it to you if it means getting Damian Lillard and Steph Curry in that backcourt. Because here's the thing. That, in Portland, that was an issue. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, the defensive uh, void there was too much for those two to overcome. But you know what the difference between Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard and Steph Curry is? Steph Curry. I mean, Steph is, I mean, C.J. McCollum is one of the most consistent, talented scorers in the league, and Steph is four times as good of a scorer as he is. I Look at what we were just, what we were just saying about Brooklyn, right? I mean, yep. who cares? Who cares if you have two of the best scorers in the league? If you're the Warriors, you've got Damian Lillard, Steph Curry. That's getting you a top-five offense every day of the week. You could stagger those two and then close every game in the final six minutes with them. You're getting one of the two best point guards on the floor at all times, uh, I should say scoring point guards because I don't want Phoenix Suns fans to come after me. But Racist. and then and then unlike in Brooklyn, you at least have, have Draymond as a defensive player of the year caliber backbone to your defense. And maybe during the regular season, you're twentieth in defensive rating. Maybe you're twenty fifth. Maybe you're thirtieth. I don't care. You'll win fifty five plus games. And then once you get to the playoffs, you've got Draymond Green in sixteen game player uh, sixteen game mode, and I'm good with that. He could just clean up stuff and and, and hold teams to 118 points because as long as the Warriors are scoring 122, you're good. I'm all for it. I would throw I would throw everything on the table for Damon Lillard. 
I mean, if we keep this consistent, we rewind this a couple of topics, and I felt so smart in saying it, that if we are now following Brooklyn, if that's what's happening, we go into next year and Brooklyn's your favorite and we got to kind of, you know, follow the Joneses kind of thing, then this would be the way to add the kind of firepower that would, you know, that might, that might keep you on the floor with a team that features KD and Irving and James Hart. Um, so, I mean, the pitcher making, I, I, it's not falling on deaf ears. I certainly understand it. And if I am Myers and I get the call, it might be the exact kind of deal that, you know, it's too risky to say yes to, but too good to walk away from. So I, I don't know. I, it would be, um, it'd be a sleepless night. Is what Let it me is. ask you, take let me ask off. you this. Let me reframe it. The report comes out. The Warriors have been offered Damian Lillard for Wiggins, Wiseman, 7-14, and an assortment of other, what, pick your role player, whatever it is. Inside, aren't you hoping that they just pull the trigger on it? Like, aren't you just secretly, like, wouldn't you be disappointed if you heard Bob Myers said no? The fan in me, yes, immediately. Yes. I mean, yeah. And it's a fantasy trade that I make in a heartbeat. You yeah. know, like, if, if I'm the fantasy GM, there's no question at all, at all. Um, there's a portion of me, and then here's an inconsistent take. There's a portion of me that wants to zag when everyone else is zigs. Mm. Everyone's, everyone else is, is, you know, building up to, to fight Brooklyn. I wouldn't mind having depth in a team that doesn't have to rely on its front five so that when Brooklyn puts out its second unit, we have some people to fuck with them on that side. But I mean, but you know, God, man, it, it is such a sexy trade and that is before we even factor where Dame is from. And that means something to me. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it really does. Uh, we had mutual friend Mark Medina on the pod a while back. Um, and we asked Mark, had he ever snuck in to an arena anywhere? And he hadn't, but he felt guilty about the lack of a story. So he gave us one for Dame Lillard. And he said, Dame growing up, he and his father snuck into Warriors games all the time. And, and from there, they literally snuck into the locker room, West. There were times where Dame reached into, supposedly, no slander, a la Mark, reached into uh, the laundry and, and pulled out a Troy Murphy jersey that he brought home. So the idea of bringing in a superstar who cared enough about the Warriors to steal T-Murph jerseys you know, like, yes, man, like that, that immediately speaks to me. So tough question. And, and you've talked me very close to into it. I mean, your takes are not uh, ignored. Uh, can I get a Troy Murphy jersey these days? I think talk they give those away for free now. I think <laughs> talk to Dame Lillard. I certainly don't have one anymore. If he got traded also- to Golden State and then wore that Troy Murphy jersey during his introductory <laughs> press conference, that'd be an all time moment. I mean, it would. I would get a Dame tattoo if that happened. Uh, no, I'm, I'm on board for some Timor love. Uh, so you're talking about zagging when everybody else is zigging. Here's a one way to do it. Trade for Ben Simmons, right? I mean, this yeah. is a guy whose trade value has never been lower, can't shoot, doesn't want to shoot, plays good de- uh, defensive player of the year caliber defense, very switchable, great ball handler, all those things that we know, but that would definitely be a zag. Um, would you do a Ben Simmons deal uh, invo- involving, I guess it would be Andrew Wiggins and the draft picks? I don't know that you would even, I don't, I, and Wiseman, I suppose. I, I, don't, I don't really know what it would all include, but would you, are you interested in Ben Simmons being on the Warriors? So I'm interested enough where I need some time for the swelling to go down. Um, the last time you and I spoke, we used some phrase that this is hold on to your butt season for the NBA. Everybody has hyperbolic takes. It doesn't matter what happens. We have like these huge instant reactions. And right now, the huge instant reaction is F Ben Simmons cannot help you. He cannot shoot. He is a failure in everything he's tried to do. And you should stay away from it. And I share it. I mean, I, I had the same thing when Philly shit the bed and, and fell out. But I need a little bit of time for that to go away. Because the practical reality is that Ben Simmons still has a hell of a lot of value, is still a hell of a playmaker, and while he can't shoot, he can do a lot of other things. So if, if they came to me right now, I'm still a little you know, anti-Simmons. But give me a couple months, um, because envisioning Ben Simmons in that three-on-two downhill role that Draymond gets because of the spacing the Splash Brothers create – you know, that, that move of when everybody has to converge on either Steph or Clay and they get it to the middle of the floor. And now whoever has it, in this case, Ben Simmons, has a, has a numbers advantage. He's crashing down the lane and gets to make the decision. 
that's the exact kind of spot he could be crazy successful at, you know, the, the Draymond spot. So I can see it. I can see it. I, I wouldn't do it now, much like the Lillard thing, but, but you've got my attention. Um, you, would you say yes? I mean, how, how, am I being ridiculous here? So I kind of immediately think back to the rumored deal of Kevin Love for Clay Thompson. And the Warriors ultimately, everybody was saying, look, Clay is great, tremendous upside. Kevin Love, not a perfect fit, but he's such a good player. You kind of have to say yes, don't you? And the Warriors were like, no. And we didn't. And they didn't, right? They didn't. So, and they didn't because they believed in Clay Thompson's fit and his upside with that roster. And ultimately, Clay became an all pro. Um, I, I think it's, I think you're in a similar situation with Ben Simmons where you can recognize the skill set and the talent and all those things, but like Kevin Love, it's maybe a little outdated. We'll see what happens with Ben Simmons. And I think Kevin Love, you know, changed his game enough to be a modern type of player, even though there's some defensive deficiencies there. Um, but I think Ben Simmons is in a similar boat and look, even if it were, Andrew Wiggins for Ben Simmons. And by the way, I don't know why Philadelphia would ever do that. But I don't think the Warriors could pull off this trade even if they wanted to, I should just say, because I don't think they want anything that the Sixers want. Like, even the seventh pick, like, the Sixers aren't in rebuild mode, right? They want a player who can help. So all of this is probably nothing, means nothing. But that said, I think that there would also be an opportunity cost if you're the Warriors. If you were to put what it would take, if you were to put Wiggins, Wiseman, the seventh pick on on the table, for example, to get Ben Simmons... I think that you're now you're you're spending all of your assets and you're going all in on Ben Simmons in a way that you believe that he could be part of your core and a part of your lineup to close games. I don't know that what Ben yep. Simmons does so well is just too redundant of Draymond Green. And I don't think that you can ever have enough long, switchable, physical, defensive players. But one of those guys between Ben Simmons and Draymond Green has to shoot the ball because sure. in order for either of them to be um, productive on offense – they need to handle the ball, right? And so it would be one thing if Ben Simmons could shoot a little bit, even out of the corner or something, but you need both of them to playmake, and, one of, and, one of, and when one of them is not playmaking, then the other one is standing in the corner or in the dunker spot clogging the lane, and I just don't see how that works, even with the spacing that you're going to get with Stephen Clay. Like, even with all of that, you're taking, some, you're taking too much off the table offensively. So I would say no to Ben Simmons only because I would rather hold on to those assets and then wait for the next type of player who is a better fit to come available or just roll it with those guys. You know, say, hey, let's let's go on all in on James Wiseman's growth. Let's go all in on Andrew Wiggins's growth because he's still only 26. Let's go all in on the number seven pick and what we can get out of that player. I'd rather do that and get and have those three players for uh, uh, more depth than I would with Ben Simmons, just because I think there would be diminishing returns, even if Ben Simmons tar- uh, uh, change, uh, turns his game around. Yeah, sure. Um, all right, final question. Would you draft Jonathan Kaminga at seven? And I'll preface this question. Uh, there have been a lot of things online lately about, hey, you know, what if Jonathan Kaminga fell to seven? What if Scotty Barnes fell to seven? They're not perfect fits, but should you take them? Um, I'm not really sure where all that came from, but I'm seeing it a lot in my mentions and stuff like that. So it kind of gave me the idea for this question. Um, I'll preface this by saying I really don't think Kaminga is falling to seven, and I haven't came across a mock draft that has Kaminga falling to seven, even if he is quote unquote falling in this draft, which is I, I think where the narrative is coming from here, Bram. Yeah, uh, he's still one of the best six players, and I think with the Warriors at number seven, he's not going to be on the board. That said, before I spoil all of the fun, if he were there, knowing how raw he is, how he's not a great fit for this roster as as it is now, understanding that you probably need a guy who can contribute immediately, and Kaminga is not really that kind of player. Would you take him at seven anyway? So I'm first going to address why would he slide, then I'll give you an answer. I don't really have anything, Wes. You know, I don't work in college hoop. I don't work in the G League. But we occasionally have guests who do. All of my takes are stolen. This one's stolen from Christian Peak. If he's to slide to us, it's only because OKC isn't as in love with Kuminga as other people are. So if they get all the way to that sixth slot, you know, um, and it's Kuminga and Barnes, there's a reason – to maybe optimistically believe they take Barnes leaving Kaminga to us. What well, if he goes at five? That's my question. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, if if it slips beyond um, Minnesota, uh, if uh, I should have said Minnesota, Minnesota is not necessarily an interest to him. And if we actually get there, he could come down to seven. But to answer your question, would I have interest? So it's a both a yes and a no, right? No is a very familiar answer. What we keep saying is Steph needs help. He needs help right now. He needs help next season. You know who will not help him next season? Kaminga. We just watched this. 
it would be a Wiseman scenario. They would be forced to develop him because of his immense talent. But developing somebody and furthering a title window aren't two things you do at the same time. But there's also a big yes. Yeah, the, the NBA's probable most valuable asset right now is a two-way swingman who can shoot the three. Kaminga's 6'6", 210 pounds. He's an 18-year-old. He can guard multiple positions or probably can and can probably shoot the three. You know, he, he looked good in the G League bubble. He was a really good rebounder for his size, and he's one of the youngest dudes in the draft. So if they had this shot, and I'm with you, I don't think it's going to happen. But if they had this shot, he's one of the only people – he's in that kind of category of like the Jalen Suggs, the other Jalens um, that I think they would have to. I think the upside outweighs the, uh, the chances they would be taking and the way it might stop Steph's title pursuit. So I, I, I'd do it. I, I think it would be a mistake not to. And if nothing else, you could trade him probably. Well, that's it. I mean, look, if Kaminga is there at seven, you have to take him. And yes, you're right about everything. You need immediate help. That Kaminga plays no. He's kind of a ball stopper. There's really no place for him to play on this on this team. That they probably can't eat as much. And by the way, I think Kaminga has maybe the highest upside in this draft potentially. I, he's got all the makings of being the next Kawhi, right? Like he's got that kind of potential. He has such a high ceiling. I don't even. I don't care how good the Warriors player development staff thinks it is. He's never reaching that upside in Golden State. It's just not happening. Like, you you just can't do it. Even if you let him play, like, this small, limited role, like, he's not that kind of player. You know, Giannis needed three years of playing point guard for a bad Milwaukee team to get to where it is that he is. Uh, Kawhi was a unique example in that he was the perfect player. To, and, and, by the way, he slipped, right? Like, because they didn't think he had an upside because he was more of that kind of immediate contributor type because he could hit threes and defend at a relatively high level. Kaminka is not. We don't think that Kaminka can defend multiple positions right now. We, he's got the physical size and length to do it, but we don't think he's ready from a basketball IQ standpoint because uh, he started playing basketball late and all these things. But uh, And then offensively, he's just he's not polished, right? He's too raw. He's not a guy that's going to walk in and start making threes right away. Like, it's just not his game. He needs the ball. He needs space. He needs time. Uh, and the Warriors don't have that to give him. But if he's there at seven, you have to take him because his upside is such that you can't pass that up. I would also say this. If he falls to seven somehow, and, I, there's this, and he is now the, the, the faller in the draft, but I still I think that's being overstated. He's not going to fall to seven. He's just not. Um, but you could, you could trade out of seven. And I think you would take him and then trade him or you would trade out of seven. And because there's going to be a team that loves Kaminga and is going to trade up, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. He's going to nail these workouts because he's such a freak athlete. Like all those, you know, workouts against chairs, he's made for that, right? So I think we're going to get away from the storyline uh, by the time the draft occurs in in late July. But I still don't see it happening because in order for him to fall, or even Scotty Barnes, by the way, who I think the Warriors would take if he was there at seven, no doubt. But like Detroit is going to take probably Cade Cunningham. Houston takes. Jalen Green or Evan Mobley. One of those players who isn't taken by Houston goes to Cleveland. Toronto takes Jalen Suggs. Orlando's there at five. They probably take Scotty Barnes or Kaminga. And then OKC takes the other one who's not on the board. Who for, and that's your top six. I, for, in order for one of those Barnes or Kaminga names to fall, that means like a guy like Davion Mitchell or Book Knight out of UConn or, or somebody like that has to slide all the way up to the top six. And I just don't see that happening. I just don't. So I think this is kind of much to do about nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, the Kuminga has been a part of a five-set name since last year, since they first started talking about this double draft that we've all been waiting for. He's one of the reasons why it was considered so loaded. So it's kind of interesting to consider him as somebody who could drop, and I think you're right. I mean, he, chances are we are left with the presumptive choice right now, Davion Mitchell, um, which I'd be okay with, and we talked about last week, you know, and I know yeah. this is our last question, but I almost hijacked the fifth one to ask you this because I want your opinion on it. So last night, I mean, I'm sure you watched the game, and, and we had the, uh, the back and forth with Pat Bev and CP3. Did the push change your opinion of Patrick Beverly at all? Because we've seen him be dirty or at least like perceived to be dirty multiple yeah. times leading into last night. But last night could have been like – an additional maybe stepping over the line. So going forward, do you view this guy any differently? Did anything change last night? It did because I think before Patrick Beverly was a competitive, dirty player in those kinds of moments, but that was outside the context of the game, right? Chris Paul was walking off the floor during a break in action. And the way that he shoved Chris Paul 
was so immature. It was basically how an elementary school kid shoves a kid in the playground because he took his ball, right? Like, he wasn't looking. It was a cheap shot. And more than anything, it could have seriously injured Chris Paul. And we could think whatever we want of Chris Paul. It's like, I know Warriors fans get annoyed with him. Like, whatever. But this is a Phoenix Suns team that deserves to be in the finals. Uh, Chris Paul has never played in the finals. And you're going to... And the risk of, of what happened there, like... Could you imagine if he would have actually hurt Chris Paul? If Chris Paul sprains his ankle or his wrist when he's trying to break his fall, and now he can't play in the finals, could you imagine the kind of controversy that that would be, the talking point that it is? I mean, it would be insane. Like, Chris, like Patrick Beverly would be kicked out of the league, right? Like, Chris Paul is the head of the players' union, right? He's, like, he's, like, he's ex-buddies with Adam Silver. Like, that would be crazy. Um, I can't... I think that the NBA has to do something about Patrick Beverly. You asked me a couple weeks ago, is there a player's face who I hate in the NBA? Now it's Patrick Beverly. Like <laughs> all that, all that playful, like, Oh, he's a dog. He's going to get up into your grill and all that stuff. Like the hell with all that. That dude's a jackass. And he, there's no place for that in the NBA. Uh, I don't think that his teammates should stand up for him. I think that he should be reprimanded by the NBA. I think he should be reprimanded by his own team out of a sign of sportsmanship and just general respect for other human people. Um, and, and just because the Clippers are eliminated here, I think he should serve a fine at the beginning of next season. If he's even in the league, you know, like he shouldn't play for the first 10 games of next year. There should be a substantial fine. Like something has to happen here. They can't just let this go. There has to be a suspension. So I agree with you on almost all fronts, although I will correct one portion. I don't know why you're using the phrase gets annoyed uh, with CP3. That suggests that there are times when Warrior fans are not annoyed with CP3 and then we re-get annoyed. <laughs> no, 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 dude. We hate him across the board at all times. And yeah, my opinion of Pat Beverly changed, right? Like yeah. the, the whole upside of Patrick Beverly, the upside of Patrick Beverly for three quarters and, and a half last night was this idea that he can kind of exist in the in-between where he is acting off emotions right up to the point that he steps over the line, but he knows how to harness it. He can pull it back so he can be dirty, but not too dirty. He can be in it, but not too in it. He can harness his emotions. And what we saw is he lost that. He lost it. He, He no longer had a harness of it. He was legitimately and actually out of control. You know, it was only for one second. It was just that moment when his hands hit uh, Paul's back. But yeah, that that takes the thing that he was known for and and changes it, puts it on its head. Now it, he can't apparently be trusted to keep his emotions in check, and that's the very thing that makes him an NBA player. So absolutely, my conceptions changed, and yeah, there, there's got to be a suspension. There's no way that they just allow him to eke off into the postseason and pretend like it didn't happen. I, and I, I haven't been paying close attention to it this morning, but I haven't heard an apology or any kind of he did. He, so he apologized, um, and I took a picture of it on Twitter because it entertained me. So this is a tweet from Patrick Beverly earlier today, and it's directed towards CP3. So at CP3, emotions got the best of me last night. Gang, my bad wasn't meant for you. Congrats on making it to the finals. Best of luck. And then the uh, the fingers crossed uh emoji at the bottom um and it is not so as of right now uh, that was released at 10:43. so about a couple hours ago it has not had a huge interaction uh 4, 4, likes and a whole lot of fu's directed back towards him <laughs> and rightfully so i'm sorry man you don't get to just apologize after that and what do you mean it wasn't meant for him like what, what is that <laughs> yeah. no he was he was trying to push campaign and then just got really confused so you know it was what it was mistaken identity he was going after frank kaminsky and he got he got them confused <laughs> um, i felt bad for frank kaminsky by the way if you watch that replay he's standing right by chris paul when chris paul gets pushed and you can tell him like he has a look on his face like oh my god what am i supposed to do you know like am i supposed to fight back like, I, I'm kind of afraid of Patrick Beverly. Like, I don't want to be suspended. He kind of meekly pushes him back, which is what I would have done. You know, like, I, I would like, <laughs> I would like made contact, which is the wrong thing. And it wasn't even real contact. I come away looking kind of like a puss. It would have, uh, it, that, I, I associated with Kaminsky in those 30 seconds. Yeah. Could you imagine if that was like Matt Barnes or Udonis Haslam or something like that standing no. where in the spot Kaminsky was standing? I mean, no. Patrick Beverly would not be alive to serve a suspension. It'd be a Kermit Washington scenario. <laughs> um, all right, Bram. I think that'll do it. I think those are all five questions. I think so, too. Huge fun, man. Huge fun, as always. Thanks to everybody who came to the green room to listen up. Uh, of course, as always, 
You could find the recording of this on our podcast, Warriors Huddle for Bram and my Locked on Warriors show, uh, available everywhere that you get podcasts. And tell your friends to come through. Download the Green Room app on all iOS devices. If you're listening to this on a podcast, uh, download the app. We're, we're going around noon. Today it was 1230 uh, every Thursday, Bram and I are trying to do this with our five biggest questions and then one wild card. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Uh, come interact with us. This is this is always fun. Thanks, Bram. Of course. Thank you. And for those who want to support Wes, you can always get out there on Amazon and buy his book, LeBron, Why I'm the Second Best of All Time. <laughs> Very good. All right, everybody. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Good, good. How you been? What's up with you today, man? I'm good. You're getting you're getting two beers and a coffee, West today. Oh fuck yes! Um, again, I mean, start giving me a heads up on these things. I will immediately <laughs> ditch my day responsibilities and just start drinking as early as necessary, man. Stop giving me like late heads up. So my editors basically gave me the next Thursday. Every Thursday and Friday, I have off, like in perpetuity, basically until. Stuff starts happening on the Warriors again, like until the draft, basically. So just so going forward, just assume that I'm drinking. You're saying that this is now a drinking podcast and I'm on board. Since I'm my own employer, <laughs> we just instituted the exact same things, man. Thursday drinking sessions. Can't wait for next week. Mimosas for breakfast, high in vitamin C. Um, <laughs> you know, a good, a good amount of carbs to kind of get you started throughout the day. Uh, I highly recommend it. I feel like you and I have never met. I think we both know I'm not drinking for the health upsides. I'm just looking to get <laughs> hammered, Wes. Don't you worry about that. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.